Okay, Tov, we're on Dafyo Dalar Amaralaf, and we're going to see several of the details dealing with the latter Ta'aniyot, uh, an expansion upon the Mishnah, uh, and today we will, Mirz Hashem, complete Parak Aleph. Tani Chada, Ubarotu Menikot, Mitanot Parishanot, Vein Mitanot Pachronot. So we have one Tanaitic tradition that uh, pregnant and nursing women fast in the early fasts, and they don't fast in the latter fasts. Now remember, we have three sets of fasts, so what's early and what's latter? And now we have a tradition that's the exact opposite. They fast in the latter ones and not the earlier ones. We have another version that says they do not fast in the early ones or in the later ones. Vashi says, if you take the reference point as being the middle set of fasts, which is the second set of three fasts that the Tzibur has, then everything makes sense. It goes as follows. The first statement, means that they fast in the middle set, but not in the latter set, because the latter set, there are too many of them, there are seven fasts, too difficult. means they fast in the middle set, but they don't fast in the first three, which are less chamur. And then, means that they do not fast in the early set and the last set. In either case, they're always going to be fasting in the middle set. The Mishnah said, The difference between the latter seven and the, the last seven and the middle three and the, uh, and the three before them, the first three, is that in these there's hatra'ah, whatever that may mean, and they close the stores. So, but my matri'in. So, what is the hatra'ah? Yehuda Amar B'Shofarot. From Yehuda B'Rei, the Rav Shmuel Barshilat Mishmei, the Rav Amar Ba'aneinu. So, uh, Rav Yehuda himself says that hatra'ah means they sound the shofar. And the tradition, the name of Rav said that it means some sort of slichot that involved the words aneinu. It's not the tefillah of aneinu, because it has to be a loud sound, hatra'ah. Now, Kasakadata, and we originally thought that the two positions are exclusively, uh, inter- uh, exclusively um, mutually exclusive, and that uh, if you hold Anenu, you will not hold Shofarot and vice versa. And how can you say that? Uh, we have a brighter that says that you have no less than seven fast placed on the tzibur that have 18 hatraot and a commemoration of that that's a way to remember it is yuricho and yuricho of course there were um there were the uh the blasts that culminated with the blasts on the uh on the seventh day but the way to remember it is yuricho which was about shofar <coughs> so that seems to refute the position said in the name of rav the hatraz anenu Everyone agrees that hatra'a could refer to shofarot. The only question is, could it, could it also refer to some sort of a slichot and a responsive reading with anenu? Whether or not hatra'a could refer to anything besides shofarot is the machloket. So according to Rav's position would be, certainly we say on the shofarot, we also do anenu. So you're going to tell me now that Rabbi Yehuda's position is that it could only be Shofarot and not Aneinu? All sorts of other plagues that come. Not rain. Not drought, that is. 
but all sorts of infestations, etc. They would not do hatra'a, rather they would yell out. So, obviously hatra'a is not the same as tsa'aka, and tsa'aka we know is calling out vocally, so hatra'a cannot be something vocal. For the following, we do hatra'a on Shabbat. If a river was uh, surrounded by an invading army or flooding, a ship that we heard was starting to sink, Rabbi Yossi said you can do hatra'a for purposes of getting help. It's a machlok, but that means specific help from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning that there is an impending danger, or whether it means actually to call people to come and help. But not for tefillah. We don't use shofarot on Shabbat. Even Rosh Hashanah Shabbat, we don't blow. So therefore, matriin b'shabbat, what could it mean? El Allah ba'anenu, must mean some sort of an outcry of the community. So you see that the Tana'idic term, hatra'a, can refer to shofar and can also refer to anenu. And therefore, our positions do not have to be overlapping or one inclusive of the other. It could be indeed that Rav Yehuda says that on the Tanit it's only shofarot, and, Rav, and the, the tradition, the name of Rav, could be that it only is Anenu. And each one of them has what to rely on to claim that Hatra'a means that. It's a story. B'shnei Rav Yehuda There was some sort of a trouble during the times of Rabbi Yehuda Nesiyah, who was a descendant of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Gazar klatas reitaniot v'loayani. He decreed 13 fasts on the community. The trouble wasn't resolved. Whatever it was, we're not told. Savar l'migzar tfei. He thought maybe we should continue fasting. So Rabbi Ami said, you can't push the community that far. You want to fast yourself, but you can't make a, a decree. It's an interesting comment. He said, Rabbi Ami said that for himself, meaning he didn't want to fast for more. And this is what it was. The limitation of fast is only when it comes to rain. We continue fasting until the issue is resolved. Rain has a particular season. And as we move through the season, our relationship with the rain changes. More needy, at some point it becomes a bad thing if it rains. As opposed to uh, an impending trouble, uh, threat, whatever it may be, until that threat is uh, is resolved uh, in a positive way, we continue to fast. That our Mishnayot that laid out three and three and seven, etc., that's only for rain. They continue fasting until we are answered positively from heaven. So that seems to challenge Rabbi Ami, who said there's a limitation, and he applied the limitation that we have for Gishamim to uh, Rabbi Huranasiya's case of uh, a non rain problem. Rabbi Ami could answer as follows, that what I was saying was a position of one Tana, it's a machloka Tana in a Tanya. Rabbi said, you don't, you don't uh, direct or ordain more than 13 fasts on the community, you're not allowed to do that to the community. Shimon Gamliel disagrees and says that the reason for not making these fasts is not because you're not allowed to overburden the community, but because by the time you've gone through that amount of fast, it's already beyond the uh, the season of the, the first rains, as it were. 
and therefore there's no point in fasting anymore, which means that if we would now apply it to a non-drought trouble, according to Shem Gamliel, we would continue fasting. According to Rebbe, Rebbe Ami is relying on, we would uh, continue. We would not continue fasting because that's too much for the community to bear. Now, a question was asked of uh, of Rebbe. Shalchul ebenei Ninve Rebbe. Now, Ninve, of course, is in Bavel. It's in old Assyrian capital. They said, we need rain even in the summer. Now, the question is, the question about Hechinavid here is uh, unclear whether it's a question about fasting. Do we continue fasting if there's no rain for us in the summer? Or does it refer to the question of Talmatar? So let's see. Are we like the community, or are we like just like individuals? So it's quite clear that their question was about the Talamatar. And they're saying, are we like individuals who have a particular need, and we should say Anenu and Shomat Filah, or are we like a recognized community, we should say Talamatar, make that request in Shomat, in Berchat HaShanim, all the way through the our rainy, our season in which we need rain. The Rebbe sent back a message that said, you are like Yechidim, you don't follow the norm, and therefore you should, uh, you can continue asking for rain, but only in Shomayat Fila. Like any other personal request that someone might have. So, we have a challenge to this. That when are the, is the calendar fixed the way that it is in our Mishnah? for the requests of rain, etc. That's only when everything is the way it is, and Am Yisrael is in Eretz Yisrael. But in our, in our day, when people are spread out, if it's based on the years, and it's based on the locale, and the climate, and, and the season, etc. So, what are you challenging Rebbe from another Mishnah? Rebbe himself was a Tana, he could disagree. Which means we have a Machloket Tanaim as to whether the Timing of Shelat Hagshamim from Zayin Marcheshvan until Erev Pesach is something that is hardwired and fixed, and regardless of where people are living, that's the, the Erev Pesach is the end of the request season, or whether it really depends on where you're living and what the needs are. This is a famous Machlokat Rishonim. Many Rishonim uh, had the approach that rain should really be uh, requested at a, at a in the in in at a, until the time of year when there is no longer need for rain locally. Now, for the Rosh, for instance, the famous Chuva indicated that Tal uh, Helmatar should be asked for in France and Germany uh, through through the spring. Uh, this is not our practice. So, Rabbi Tanah Falik, my Haviyalah, what's the halachalama said? Of Nachman Amar Vachat Hashanim, of Shesh Demar Vishomayat Filas, of Machloket of the famous. Uh, second generation uh, Amoraim, or Nachman of Sheshet in Avel, and Halachatab Shomayat Filah. The we say it in Shomayat Filah. So indeed, if we are in, living in a place in which there is a tremendous need for rain, let's say in June, for some reason, then we do add in Shomayat Filah, Tain Talamatar Livracha, or perhaps with a slightly different Nusach, um, but we do make a request for rain. Good. Back in the Mishnah, we said that in the, uh, the last seven fasts, the stores are closed, but on Monday they open up a little bit at dark. On Thursday, all day, whatever all what it is they do all day is unclear. That's the question. 
meaning we open up a little bit on Monday at just before dark to allow people to buy food. And on Thursday we open up a little bit, but all day for Kvot Shabbat. Or perhaps on Monday we open up a little bit at the end, and Thursday we keep the store wide open, Kvot Shabbat. It's quite clear that the latter approach is, is accurate, that we open up the store fully all day because of Kvot Shabbat. This, of course, is a store where, which has needs for Shabbat, uh, especially food. So even uh, on Thursdays, but if you have two doors to the store, one of the doors is closed. If you have some sort of a stand in front of the store, you can open up the store and not worry at all, either because the stand blocks the store opening, so people cannot see right away that it's open, uh, or else because the itztabas, we've shown them, say the itztaba was somewhere where they would hang their their goods, and if they don't hang their goods out there, people have to come into the store, so it's already distinct from a regular market day. So our Mishnah said if that if we have these 13 fasts and still haven't been answered so the Yechidim continue to fast. In the meantime, the rest of us uh, minimize our business and minimize our building and our planting and Eresit, Nisuin, etc. Now, Tana Binyan, Binyan Shal Simcha, Netiyah Shal Simcha. It doesn't mean planting if you're a farmer and it doesn't mean building if you're in construction. It means building and planting things that are festive. Here's a Binyan Shal Simcha. What's a festive building? Zabonet Beit Chatanut Livno. A wedding room or wedding house, the new house for a man's son who's getting married. Uh, this may indeed be something like a tapiary or some sort of a uh, of a festive kind of garden. Um, it may also be something like a gazebo. But uh, these are the sort of things that are festive and uh, and are not necessary for one's livelihood. So the Mishnah also said that we minimize our Shilat Shalom. So colleagues, don't greet each other with Shalom when they're in this state. So if somebody is outside of that circle, he's an Amaretz, and he says to you, Shalom, you respond very, uh, like a mumble. You respond very quickly and with great seriousness. You don't say, hi, how you doing? You kind of answer Shalom. And the Haverim sit and they, they look, they're mourning, they're in mourning. Like people who have been uh, chased away, who have been uh, disowned almost by HaKadosh Baruch Hu until there's Rachamim Min HaShemayim. A person is not allowed to say Tachnum, Tachnunim, that we say after Tefillah, Unless he will be answered, and the assumption is he's saying Tachnunim because he has a serious request, he's in terrible trouble, and he's asking this of God, he's not allowed to do it unless he's going to be answered like Yoshua bin Nun. Of course, Tachnun, the whole Nefilat Apaim, falling on one's face, is something that is the model for that is Yoshua and Paragazin of Sefer Yoshua after the defeat uh, at Ta'ai when 36 uh, Israeli soldiers were killed. And um, and the, res- the, re- the one of the reasons for it, the key reason that's lurking in the shadows, is the violation of the of the sanctum by uh, Achan, who took from the cherem of Yericho 
and took some of the gold and the silver and a fancy garment, and he hid it in his tent. As a result of that, we lost the first battle of Ta'ai, and Yoshua, not knowing about this, thought that we'd been handed over to the enemy and fell in front of the Aron. Um, that is why the Rokeach, and this is common practice, the Rokeach maintains that you know, don't do nefilat apai, meaning actually falling down the way we do on our arm, unless we're in a place where the Aron is. And therefore, people who say Tachanun, uh, in a room where there's no Aron, usually just sit. Uh, Rabbi Salechik, by the way, uh, did not accept the Rokeach, and I remember in Shir every day when he said Mincha, after Shir, that the Rav would put his uh, arm down and put his head on his arm, even though we were in a regular classroom that did not have an Aron Kodesh there. Nope. Ma'aseh Rav. In any case, he says, you're not allowed to do that unless you are answered like Yoshua, you will be answered like Yoshua Minun Shnemarvi. So we see that Yoshua was answered. Yoshua fell and said, what's happening? And God answered him. The Amr Rabbi Yelazar, Enadam Chashuv Rashay Lachagor Sak Elenkin Nanaki Yoram Ben Achav. So we find that Yehoram, the son of Achav, who was walking on the wall, and the two women, one of the most upsetting stories in all of Tanakh, the woman cried out to him and said, please save me, and he, during the years of famine that happened as a result of Elisha's decree, and she said, uh, save me, and he said, how can I save you, etc., and the terrible story about eating the children, Ayenshan. In any case, a person is not allowed to wear sack, wear burlap and sackcloth, Unless he's going to be answered like Yoram ben Achav, Shemar vahi kishmo amelach at divrei ha'ishav ikrat begadav uhu avera lachomav vayar ha'am v'inei hasak al b'saro. And a little while later, of course, there was rain and into the drought. V'yamar Rabbi Elazar lo hakol b'kriyav lo hakol b'nefila. Not all people in history did their um, great response to Hakadosh Baruch Hu by tearing their clothes and not everybody falling on their faces. Moshev Yaron b'nefila Yoshua v'chalev b'kriyat. Uh, this is in the case of the Miraglim, the ten scouts that came back, the twelve scouts that came back, ten of them with the uh, frightening report from Eretz Yisrael. Moshe and Aaron's response was to fall on their faces, and Yeshua and Kalev, the two positive scouts, their reaction was to tear their clothes. So you see that Yeshua and Kalev tore their clothes, and Moshe and Aaron had fallen on their faces. And the import of this seems to be that there are some people who the most appropriate response for them in times of trouble is one thing, and others it's, it's another thing. Uh, but we have a challenge to this. So if it had said with no at the beginning of the pasuk, no conjunctive vav, then it would be like you said. So it means that. Moshe and Aaron tore their clothes via Yehoshua. He also tore his clothes. And Yehoshua binun, also, also, uh, sorry. Moshe and Aaron they fell on their face. Via he also fell on his face. And Yehoshua bin Kalev, Karu Bigdehem. They tore their clothes. Now we have another statement of Rabbi and we're going to have the same kind of play with it. This is referring to eschatological vision of what will happen at the end of days to kings and princes. When HaKadosh Baruch reveals himself, kings will stand and princes will bow. Kings will see this and stand up. And the idea is standing up out of honor to Hashem, like Eglon Melech Moab, standing up out of his chair. The end of the Pasuk. If it had said, this 
Kedikamra. Hashtag Sarim Vishtachavu, so you have to say Melachim and Sarim both stand up. And then Sarim also bow down. Havahavud. So he is doing the same thing now because of the lack of the Vav, or shall we say the order of the Pasuk? And he says that here the Sarim, uh, the ministers will do both what's mentioned in the earlier Pasuk, or the earlier phrase, which is they'll stand up, and they will also do what's mentioned explicitly and uniquely for them, which is to bow down. The last passage that we have here uh, is also eschatological, but it's uh, more about uh, people on the inside. Uh, not everyone gets light, and not everyone gets happiness. So tzaddikim, righteous, pious people, get light, and uh, honest people, yesharim, get uh, rejoiced. Tzaddikim Sharim Simcha Dichtiv Lishwelev Simcha in the same Pasuk in Tihilim, a uh, a light which is sown for the Tzadikim, so Tzadikim have light waiting for them at the end of days, and to those who are straight of heart, Simcha. You'll notice the Tosfot here um, goes back to the question of Uli Yishwelev Simcha and points out why we would not make the same Vavachibur connection and say Lishwelev get both Ora and Simcha. And he deals with that. In any case, Hadran Alach Matai, we have completed Baruch Hashem, the first parak of Masachat Tanit. Mirz Hashem, tomorrow morning we will begin the second parak, Seder Ta'aniyot Ketzad. Everyone should have a wonderful day.